welcome to Speak Sex. I am your host, Eve Eurydice. I am a Greek from the island of Lesbos, <laughs> um, which I think makes me a rebel in patriarchy by definition. And it also made me very aware from basically birth of the power of like, you know, words and names and, and patriarchies, especially words and names. Um, because they affected my understanding of myself. So this is one of the reasons I am now um, working as the host of this podcast. It was my response to the Me Too movement, and I felt very strongly that this was our time where we could, um, you know, take the power of consent that we were given finally as women for the first time in, like, recorded history, and win our genetic advantage back through it. You know, my feeling is that the only way to end the patriarchy is for women to own sex. So that's my project. And today's guest is one of my favorite female artists of all time. <laughs> and she's Thank also you. a fellow Greek. <laughs> I don't think many people know that. Uh, but anyway, Simrit. Yes, Simrit Kaurkolsa, right? Yes, that is right. Mm, thank you for joining us today. Um, I'm, as I said, a huge fan of your work. And um, what I admire most about your music, besides the fact that it's global, <laughs> that it combines sounds from around the world and, and you know overcomes borders and boundaries and all that, is that to me it's it's prelingual and postlingual, right? Mm. So it mm. it frees us from like the limitations of language, which I, th I think that the language we all use is very male and it's kind of like created for us to follow the rules that perpetuate, you know, the system that we live in, which I call patriarchy, but we can call it by any name <laughs> of like, you know, the dominant culture, whatever you want to call it, you know, it could be Western Judeo-Christian civilization, it could be late capitalism, you know, it just people can put their own uh, name for it. Um, but I really feel that your music speaks to my greater consciousness and my subconscious both. Mm. So, and... I'm I'm very moved by it. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. <laughs> it's a pleasure. <laughs> thank you for your work, you. <laughs> first of all, Aww. and for joining me today. Um, Aww, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about your journey, um, which is pretty extraordinary. So I think that your, you know, heroine's journey is mm. is pretty mythic. Because you, you are a fellow Greek and you s somehow got from Greece to the American South and then to Kundalini Yoga and your teachings of Yogi Bhajan yeah. and, and this music <laughs> that embraces all of these uh, lineages. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, I was born in Athens in the big city of Athens. It's a beautiful city, and I go back every year. 
Uh, I was born there, and I lived there for almost two years. Mm -hmm. And I was orphaned, so I lived in an orphanage, um, and I lived with a foster family as well. So most of the time I lived with a foster family when I was young. I don't remember much of it. I do remember little bits and pieces, but not much of it. Uh, my mother, who I just recently met in oh, Athens wow. you last met year, mm. yeah, I met her. She's only 16 years older than me. Mm. So she she had me when she was 16, and she, um, at the time, was touring around and singing all over Greece, including the island of Crete and um, all the different islands. And so she was singing and wanted to still, she was she was touring while she was pregnant with me. And she wanted to keep me, but her family, uh, her mother was also so, very I'm young. I'm sorry to interrupt. She was singing what, like folk music or Traditional Greek folk music. Hmm. Traditional Greek folk music she sings. So not mm -hmm. the rebetica, but the older music. She also sings rebetica, yes. Hmm. She's also, in, and I have a grandmother who also sang, or a great-grandmother who also sang rebetica, but she was also an actress and a well-known actress and singer uh, like um, she would do like, I guess, Broadway style. Um, I don't know if it was Broadway. It's not like Broadway here, but she would sing and dance in these shows that they would have. And her name was Tula Dimitriou. Mm -hmm. Tula Dimitriou, that, that, right. I think Dimitriou, it's like that Greek, was her stage name. Right. I think it's like the Greek cabaret. I mean, it's not it was like, American yes. cabaret. <laughs> yeah, definitely, right. definitely. Yeah, it was. It was. It was something like that. And she was very like. Uh, she was very known, and she was very respected. She had a beautiful voice, and mm. I never got to meet her. She passed before I, um, before I got to meet my biological mother. Um, so she passed. Uh, a couple of years before that. So, and all of the women in my biological lineage were very young when they had their children. So they were all teenagers and I broke that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't do that. I didn't have a baby when I was a teenager. So, um, so my parents who were also full Greek who came to adopt me and they also adopted my brother from Greece who was from a completely different Greek family and they first adopted my brother, and then they adopted me a couple of years later. And um, and my brother has special needs, so they adopted him with special needs. And they both of my parents come from immigrant parents from Greece. So both of my parents were first-generation Greeks, and they grew up, you know, in the restaurant business, in the bar business, and in the furniture business. Oh, yeah, business. the Greek diner. <laughs> oh, yeah. So... So they grew up with immigrant parents, and then they raised us in a very, very rich Greek culture. So mm. we we learned, you know, we learned how to cook and dance and read and write and speak. Mm -hmm. And we went. Mm -hmm. We grew up in the church, and I studied mm -hmm. the ancient Byzantine music in the church. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I mean, it was a study of mine for many years. I had a teacher there. The choir teacher was very adamant about teaching me because Byzantine she recognized, music. yeah. Yeah, she recognized my gift as a little girl, and she wanted to teach me. And I always, so I was singing in the choir when I was in grade school, when I was very young, mm -hmm. and I was learning the Greek hymns, and then I was also learning the Byzantine hymns. Um, the they're very ancient, you know. Oh, yeah. It was a was such a practice, and it was mm -hmm. beautiful. And 
whenever I would sing in the church, I would get this same feeling that I get when I sing now. I got this like out-of-body experience, very emotional, very beautiful, very connected, very... um, I would go into like a different realm, you know, mm. into a different world. Yeah, and it's, it's a devotional practice, which is yes, what, very know. much so, yeah. very much so. But at the time, I didn't know what was going on, but she recognized that in me. And, and then other people also would feel that when I would sing. So she really wanted to help me cultivate that. So I was in the choir for a long time, and my parents were very supportive of my musical talents from the time I was very young. They got me into piano and drums and singing. And I was all at the whole while I was playing basketball and Greek dancing. I was learning <laughs> Greek dances with, with a teacher from the Dora Stratu dance oh, company wow. from Athens. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was like a really big deal. My parents mm-hmm. were very, um, they were very encouraging of my brother and me learning mm-hmm. in the arts. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm really grateful to them because mm-hmm. none of this would have happened without them, mm-hmm. you know. And I also and, think uh, that you know we Greeks, even those who are, like aren't educated in the sense of who will not articulate this, we have like a a much bigger, more more mythic sense of time because you know our history starts like three thousand years ago, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and our music like the Byzantine church music is the continuation of like the ancient music and the ancient songs. And yes. Yeah. So I think we have like kind of like an, an uninterrupted tunnel sense of time, which is very unlike the American uh, linear time, you know? Yeah. That makes sense because it's, I feel our ancestry in my blood. And mm-hmm. I feel that when I'm singing, I'm pulling that through mm-hmm. naturally. It's coming through. There's no like time and space happening. It's very ancient what mm-hmm. comes through me, and it feels that way. But it's also um, it's also relevant, you know, for right. this time. But right. but there's also there there is that. You're right. I, I absolutely feel that. And um, the the Greek culture before Christianity came mm-hmm. uh, was not a patriarchal exactly. uh, culture. It was very different. It was a, we had a, a god and goddess veneration culture, mm-hmm. and goddesses were very much venerated, especially on islands like Crete. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and then there's you know, you know, of course, you know the Oracle of of Delphi and everything mm-hmm. like that. So mm-hmm. Delphi, mm-hmm. it's just it's um, we have it in our culture. It's so ingrained in us in our DNA. Oh, I don't yeah. think we can escape it. No, <laughs> we it's can't. so ingrained. I mean, my mom's a cantor in church, right? Her whole, my whole life. Your her mom whole life. is a cantor. Yeah, wow. My my grand, her father was a priest, and you know her, and her grandma, um, was the village uh, medicine woman. You know, she would do oh, like the herbs yes. and the blessings and the you know, take care of like, you know, if the crops were drying or if the kids had illness or if you couldn't sleep or if you were infertile. <laughs> so That's there is, awesome. Yeah, you know, it continues. Um, you know, I, and I just feel like because we're so close to our past, it yes. just comes down through the generations. Yeah, very, yes, very much alive. Indeed. Well, it's so, so I do hear it in your music and I... And, 
yeah. you know, the past, the ancient past, oh, yeah. and the present, both. Yes, I'm really glad that you, and, and I'm not surprised that you notice it being um, being from Greece yourself and really mm-hmm. feeling that ancient mm-hmm. mystical vibe. Exactly. Because that's what, that's what the culture is. The, the ancient Greek culture is very mystical, and it has a very... Um, it's just got a very strong influence on my melodic sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, I mm-hmm. grew up listening to Greek music all day, every day, and I used <laughs> to listen to old traditional Greek music. That's so what my great. parents played yeah. all the time. I mean, <laughs> they played other stuff too, but we would dance it even in the house. You know, mm-hmm. we, I studied Greek dancing for, you know, 12 years, but. Mm-hmm. Even with that, even studying Greek dancing for 12 years and the different dances from the islands and the different dances that when the Turks invaded Greece that some of the women would do and they would dance off the cliff. And I mean, we studied all of these different kinds of dances that had so much significance to our culture and our heritage. Yes, really strong women, you know, Mm -hmm. And, um, and even with, you know, listening to that, you know, and and I would listen to lots of, of course, American music too. Now and then, growing up, and then as I became a teenager, I started diving into a lot more American music. And mm-hmm. of course, I've never, I've never ever dropped the Greek music. It's always been a huge part of my life, and still is. And the melodic sensibilities of growing up and studying the ancient music that I would sing in the church, and then also the traditional Greek folk music definitely has an influence mm-hmm. on my on mm-hmm. my the way that I write a hundred percent has an influence on it and I can't I don't even try to escape it it's just um you know the minor chords exactly that, that yeah in my music and the right. way that I write the, the way that I write um the chord progressions even I mean it's very like you said you really recognize mm-hmm. it there is a there's something in it that just you feel and it's um yeah it definitely comes from yeah, that and there is something of, of the psalm in it you know there's what the psalm p s a l m ah yes 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 definitely mm-hmm. yeah. so you were growing up uh, where were you what's the your, your i grew up in a small little town mm-hmm. called camden south carolina mm. <laughs> and it was the hub of the civil war so for the united mm-hmm. states so it was right. a small civil war town mm-hmm. um very southern um we were very ethnic in that town there was no other ethnic people that if they were if there were we didn't see them mm-hmm. there was two other greek families there and that's it i mean wow. it was very small five thousand people so, you know, it, we were fine. We grew up with beautiful parents, and we had everything we needed. But the cultural gap there um, with us and then the friends from school was very apparent. And mm-hmm. uh, then we moved to the city um, when we were in middle school. We moved to Columbia, South Carolina, which is the capital of South Carolina. Mm. And the reason we lived in South Carolina is because my father's family immigrated from Tripoli, and they came to South Carolina out of all places to <laughs> to open up a, a restaurant and a furniture store. I don't know why they came there, but my dad told the story that his grandfather immigrated to Ellis Island and got on a some, like, I don't know how he got down to South Carolina, but for some reason he was traveling down to find his brother Spiro that had come before him and they didn't have phones or they didn't have phone numbers or 
anything, like they didn't have any way to get in touch with each other. And he was organically led to South Carolina to find his brother. And so somehow he found his brother in this little small town. And the reason they wanted to stay there in Camden was because they felt it was like the New York City of the South because there was a lot of similarities. <laughs> mm-hmm. There were a lot of similarities at that time with Camden mm-hmm. and um, in New York, the way that like the, the women were dressed really stylishly and the horse and buggies around all the fountains and all these beautiful things. So my father said that his father and his uncle Speedo decided to stay because of that. They really liked it. And they ended up raising their family there, and that's where my dad was born, actually. My father... Um, my adopted father, of course, yeah, but yeah. still, you know, uh, but but when I reference my mother and father, they're, I, they're my real parents. They raised of me course, for most yeah, of my life. Yeah, yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, so it was, a, you know, that's where we were brought to from Greece. Mm-hmm. And we stayed there for um, almost 12 years. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, I was, it would have been almost 10 years because I was close to being 12 when we moved Mm -hmm. and I didn't get there till I was just before I was two. Mm -hmm. So it was my close to my 12th year of life Mm -hmm. when we moved to the big city Mm -hmm. of Columbia, Mm -hmm. the bigger city. It's still not a big city. It's like 600,000 people. It's not that big, but it's a, it's a small big city. It's a small city, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And when we moved to the city, the, that's where the Greek church was. So we didn't have to drive as far to go to church. Um, three days a week, which was tough when we were growing up. It was a good hour from our home growing up. And so we would drive three days a week to the church. Wow. So we were driving a lot, yeah, mm-hmm. when we were in the small town. And then when we moved to the city, it, it cut the drive in half. So that was really nice. But uh, yeah, so. And then. So that's where. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So from the big city, you stayed there until college? I did. I stayed there until I went to college, and I ended up going to College of Charleston, which was about an hour and a half um, mm-hmm. due east of Columbia. In that, uh, there's a it's a beautiful beach college, and Charleston is a, has a beautiful beach. And I basically lived there for about eight years of my life, and I loved it. That was. Yeah, I would say it was one of the best times of my life because I didn't have a college experience where I wasn't in a sorority or anything like that. I was very into music and I was very into the mystic arts and I would study with teachers at the college that taught those kinds of arts. So I would study shamanism and study uh, music and study you know, this and that, and I studied different um, different writers that I was really into and things like that. So it was a really beautiful college experience. I played a lot of music. I studied African drums at that point. I was already uh, doing, um, I was already playing Doombeck a little bit, but I wanted to really get into African drumming. So I started studying African drumming. Um, that's when I was in Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, it was a beautiful time, really. I had some beautiful friends there, and we lived right on the beach, right on the beach. It was just, it was just a beautiful, relaxing and um, deepening time. You know, it's so. It wasn't like all we did was go party. We would have like drum circles on the beach. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, that mm-hmm, would be our party. Mm-hmm. 
or we would we would gather around and eat food at somebody's house and then go play drums for like four hours or go to the you know African drumming music festivals or mm-hmm. it was just it was a very enriching time of my life and uh, is that where you discovered Kundalini yoga or not yet? It was yes. Um, when I was 19, I started practicing Hatha yoga first and Reiki, and I became really into Reiki. And I had a Reiki teacher at, in Charleston, and I she had a big center where she would have clients come, and we would practice Reiki with the clients. Um, and that happened once a week, uh, or sometimes twice a week. And so I really got into that. And I was taking Hatha yoga classes because the first year of college, I was just trying to figure it all out. And I I would, you know, like any other college freshman, you go to parties, you're, you're like, oh, do I like this or that? And it really wasn't speaking to me, the whole party scene and stuff like that. And I wanted something, I wanted a deeper experience of myself. So I turned to yoga and meditation at a pretty young age. And, um, and at 19, I stopped, you know, trying to like, uh, hang out with people or stopped hanging out with people that weren't truly into the things that I was into. And they were just really into partying and stuff like that. So it was a pretty young age to do that. And Mm -hmm. I started really on my path of yoga at that age. And after a year of doing Hatha yoga, I kind of felt like I was at a plateau with it, not because Hatha yoga is limited. It's not. There's a lot. There's lifetimes upon lifetimes of um, experience that you can gain from it. But I obviously just wasn't for me and I was searching for something else. And then I found Kundalini yoga. I went to my first class and then within the first three minutes of that class, I had this recognizing, like I I recognized it, you know, I basically had a recognition that I had a very strong familiarity with this path. And not only that, but that I would be doing it for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I knew that within the first three minutes of the the class. I I had the same experience. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I had the exact same experience. I did yoga for so long, um, I mean, and I loved it, and I felt like it suited me, you know, physically at least. Um, and mm-hmm. I started it when I went to India, like in my 20s at the Osho Ashram. Mm-hmm. So I did every type of yoga. I got certified to teach, whatever. But when I f- discovered the Kundalini within, like, as you said, like it was not even, it was before the class was over, <laughs> like that first class. Yeah, it was instantly, thought, yeah. Right. Oh, like I mean, this is what I do. Like, I felt like this is what I do in my life and don't know it. And I don't have a system for it or a name for it. But that's like how my body naturally functions. Only now it's enhanced, right? Yes. It's just so, I don't know, natural. It's just such an amazing way of practicing. It's so natural. Yeah. Yes. And it. I will tell you, when I first heard some of the music in the class, mm-hmm. I heard it and it was so beautiful to me, even though it wasn't necessarily the style that I play in, but I, I thought these chants feel so familiar to yeah. me. It feels like what I grew up with. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. It felt so familiar to me and I'm sure it felt like that to you because of your yeah. mom being, you know, she mm-hmm. chanted in the church. So it was like, Oh, oh yeah. yeah, it was like and oh, this he is looks no like my grandpa. I, I think I think that 
you know, Yogi Bhajan looks just like my grandpa. I have his photo in front oh, of me. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. I know. Yeah, that's really sweet. Yeah. Well, yeah. when I heard the music in that first class, the first thing I thought was, I have something to contribute. Mm. Because this is really nice, and it was really, the music was really beautiful and important to me when I heard it. But I said, I have something with this that's really I need to really bring through because I have something that's going to like really take this further and like really like I just knew that I needed to to start creating some kind of music with it. And I didn't for a long time. Um, But yeah, it's so familiar. The chanting when people are like, was it weird when you started chanting? I was like, no, I've been chanting my whole life in the Greek church. It's the same thing. You know, it's the same. So it's really the same. And, I it's think it's not, like it's equally so ancient, you know, and the other yoga yes. types, um, they're a little more rigid, you know, you have yes. to hold the pose, um, there is much less chanting, um, right. you know, organically. Yes, uh, yeah. I mean, now there is in the American way of practicing it because people play music, but right. not so much in the original way, you yeah. know, that the poses right. are held. Yeah, I, I do think that... And for all we know, you know, Alexander went to India. I mean, who knows where we they all well, met? We, we do <laughs> know, know that there is, the history tells us, and the DNA tests tell us that the Greeks and the Indians share DNA. Right. Um, especially because Alexander the Great, when he went over there, uh, he left some of his generals over there. Mm-hmm. And so they were you know, having children with the Indian women. And mm-hmm. so it, and, and that was in the Northeast corner of exactly. India, which is where yeah. Yogi Bhajan, who brought yeah. Kundalini yoga yeah. to the West is from, he's from Chandra that area. Jesus. So there is, you know, maybe that's what I'm feeling in it. I don't know, but mm-hmm. um, there are a lot of Indians that have Greek, also have Greek DNA as well in the Punjab, which is the Northwestern corner of India. Exactly. And, and and that comes from a long time ago, you know, oh, like when, exactly. when you said Alexander went over there. And I think that that's really neat that we're all so connected like mm-hmm. that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was known as Sikander. And there's a lot of, you know, storytelling and mythology that's come down through the generations about him. So I mm. do think that there was a, you know, cultural meld at that time. Yes. And um, it passed to both sides, you know, because the people, you know, wh- all these people who went with him and then came back to Greece brought something yes. for sure as well. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's, it's really amazing. And uh, so, yeah, how, I, you so know, when did you bring everything out? <laughs> when did I start putting my music out? Yeah. When did it uh, all come together? And you were like, oh, I have this voice. Uh, well, when I was young, my parents said I had a voice. But mm-hmm. when you're young and you're a kid, you don't think about it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just mm-hmm. doing your thing and you do what you love. But they said I always would sing. And, and you know, when I was really little, when I was in grade school, I do remember coming home after school and we had these tape recorders back then. We didn't have our iPhones that we could record on like we do now. Mm-hmm. But... um. Mm-hmm. I would go home and sit in a corner in the house and record songs with my voice, like songs, like any songs. Like I would sing, I'm going to school, you know, and make these <laughs> melodies up. 
you know, with these funny words. And But I mm-hmm. was doing that even back then, and I didn't realize what I was doing. I was doing it because it was something fun. I never had a dream that I was going to be a singer mm. and, you know, travel the world and have mm-hmm. audiences all over the world. I never had that dream. I always thought I was going to be... Uh, you know, when I was younger, like a doctor, like a healer in that way. Mm. And my well, father would always, <laughs> yes, yes, uh-huh. it is healing. And, and definitely I was tuned into the healer part, but not the singer part. And even though I was already singing so much when I was a child. And then when I got into high school, I started taking singing lessons at the University of South Carolina with my previous piano teacher. So I was taking professional singing lessons as a teenager, and still at that point, I wasn't thinking I was going to be a singer. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't, you know, I was still focused on potentially being a doctor. Because my father, you know how Greek fathers are, they want their children, they want, their, they want to be so proud of their children. And my father would always tell me, oh, you have long fingers, you're going to be a doctor, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And he said, your fingers are so long, and this is because you're meant to be a doctor. So I I adopted that. (laughs) (laughs) What? Long fingers should be for the piano. Uh, Well, I did. I played piano. Right. uh, So they had me in piano lessons and Mm -hmm. everything like that. But, you know, my father, you know, um, coming from an immigrant family and not having much money growing up, they wanted to see... They wanted mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. proud of their doctor oh, daughter that made yeah. this much money, and mm-hmm. you know what I mean—that mm-hmm. made it in America. So, um, so yeah, he was always talking with me like that, kind of like um, ingraining that in my head. And I took that on for a while, but I always knew I didn't want to be a medical doctor. I wanted to be a naturopath. I always knew that was more of my style. And so up in, up through college, I really I studied to be a naturopath. I got degrees in, first, I got a degree in anthropology. Second, I got a minor in Spanish. And then, and then after that, I went back to school to get my degree in science to go to naturopathic school because I was going to really be a naturopathic doctor. I was serious about it. Mm-hmm. And when I was in college, I was a musician. I was playing music. I was singing. I was studying voice. Uh, I was studying Middle Eastern voice. I was studying um, African drums. I was studying Western vocals. I mean, I was studying like I was getting ready to go out and be a singer, but yet I was going to school after that to be a naturopath. <laughs> so it was really interesting um, how it all happened because... It really wasn't until that first Kundalini yoga class that I even thought about bringing music out into the world. Mm. And then even after that, it took me, I would say, 10 years after that first Kundalini yoga class to actually start recording, to to actually do something with the music. Mm-hmm. And when I first initially recorded, um, you know, after uh, 10 years after I was saying that I started doing kundalini yoga when i initially recorded i wasn't even trying to market myself and put myself out there i was just doing it for the kundalini yoga community mm-hmm. so i wasn't going to tour or anything and same with the second album i did i wasn't going to tour i was just putting it out for the community so i didn't market i didn't do anything like that i never put myself out for the first three years that i had recorded So isn't that interesting? I didn't put my music online, and that's when the online um, music scene was starting to really kind of take hold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and 
and I still at that point was like, oh, we have a son. We just had a little, you know, baby when I put my first album out, and I just wanted to be uh, at home with him. Mm -hmm. I didn't. I wasn't trying to be a singer that was sharing music all over the world. So, um, mm -hmm. anyways, it was uh, it was really interesting. Um, how and it and you always recorded it with your Kundalini name. I did. Okay. I got so my my birth name or, or the name that my parents gave me it mm -hmm. was Stavrula, mm -hmm. Stephanie, and they translated to Stephanie. In, I know, but uh, Stavrula really Europe. means of the cross, you know. Right, it does. Which is yes, very it's powerful. Beautiful. Yeah, and it comes from uh, my mother wanted to give me that name because her father's name was Stavros. Stavros, right? So yeah, mm -hmm. we all do that. Yeah, I have so my grandma's name and. Her grandma's name. My daughter yeah, has my mother's beautiful. name. <laughs> yeah, it's yes, actually you I know, mean, I nice love that we have. I love this me name. Too, and some it. of my family calls me Stavrula. And, you know, my friends, some of my friends call me Stavrula. Mm -hmm. And some of my, uh, like my husband knows that name and he only calls me that every once in a while. Just to, it's, it's really sweet. But, um, and I went by Stephanie a lot growing up, you know, in the States. But, um, but you know, my family and Greek friends would always call me Stavrula, which I really loved. But a lot of the people in the schools, when I was coming as Stavrula, they couldn't pronounce it. It was too much for them. So they, so eventually we just said, okay, well, also, we just, you know, it's Stephanie, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie. So, um, and then yeah. I got a name when I was practicing Kundalini yoga for a few years. Finally, I reached out to Yogi Bhajan, mm -hmm. and when he was he, he was still living, he was very sick at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but I reached out to him and wrote him a letter, and he wrote me back and gave me the name mm -hmm. Simrit because I said my name is. You and know, what does Simrit the, mean? Simrit means the one that has mastered the practice of remembering God's name with each breath. Wow. That's it's really right it's on. Powerful. I know, and, and right on. Yeah. I did beautiful. the same and thing, by the way. Again, sorry to interrupt, but just to touch, you know, like I want to touch where where we have a lot in common. I did the same thing, and he sent me my name back, and it's Nirbe, and it's like it, Nirbe, Nirbe, oh, um, yes, which I have as a tattoo on me, <laughs> and I also mm -hmm. have a tattoo of my favorite Byzantine music of this, you know song that I love, a Byzantine psalm. Um, but anyway, so Nirbe means fearless. And it's actually mm -hmm. so rare because, you know, all the names that I've known of friends of mine are long. You know, the meaning in English tends to be a sentence or yes. sometimes a complicated sentence. <laughs> right. But this is just one word. And fearless. again, very apropos. <laughs> yes, I love it very yeah. much. I He's love so it. I have a... He's so right on with his names. I mean, I I left my, oh, yeah. you know, I left so right on. when I was fifteen and came to America alone. And enough said, you know, fearless. <laughs> it's like yes, exactly. He knows it. <laughs> yeah, he knows it. He yeah. knows it, and not only yeah. that, he um, he also studied Vedic astrology and all these things. Like it, mm -hmm. it felt. I tell you, when I got the name, I was in college again. I was sitting at a, a computer. I got the letter in the mail. Mm -hmm. I pulled the letter out I and I read it. And it. I have my letter oh, in a special beautiful. place. I know. <laughs> well, as soon as I, as, when I first started practicing Kundalini Yoga, I was like, I don't need the name, whatever. But then I was curious. I was like, oh, I'm just curious. So when I wrote him out of quote-unquote curiosity, I think he tuned in to my deeper 
mm-hmm. self. Mm-hmm. And he sent me the name. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I opened that letter and saw the name, I said, this is what I'm going to introduce myself as from now on. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but it just felt right. Mm-hmm. It was as soon as I got that name, it just felt right to me. I wouldn't have done mm-hmm. it otherwise. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I needed a new name. I loved my I loved Stavrula. I loved mm-hmm. Stephanie. I didn't need to, I wasn't mm-hmm. searching for a new name. I was just curious, but I really went with my intuition on it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I adopted the name basically and started going by that, except mm-hmm. for with my, you know, my family, of course, they call mm-hmm. me, they all call me Stavrula, you know, Stephanie, mm-hmm. whatever. Well, he but, reveals um, what he does is with the naming is he reveals your destiny. So if you are yes. open, you know, and conscious, yes. It's amazing, you know, it kind of gives you that clarity that, you know, in this daily life we are so overwhelmed with, like, busyness and, you know, distractions, and we don't have that clarity on our own. But he, of course, could see. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So beautiful. (laughs) So, I know, so beautiful. I just wish everybody would, you know, have access or allow themselves access because it's all available to us, you know, and it's so enlightening and liberating and soothing you know it frees you from like anxiety and fear speaking of fearlessness yes indeed so um okay so your narrative so you recorded three albums you were raising your son um you had your son relatively early right yeah i had him in in my early 20s okay Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I had him um, in my early twenties, and I I recorded two albums in three years. Okay, and I did I did not promote those albums at all. All I did was I had them like at solstice, at summer solstice, where mm. a lot you know a lot of kulinyogis mm-hmm. gather, mm-hmm. and I would just sell them at summer solstice. Or I was a first album; I was just even giving it away. I was like, here, I made some music, and right. people were really excited because mm-hmm. I had been singing at solstices, and they had heard me sing, mm-hmm. and I had. I hadn't sung much, but they had heard me, and they were really like, "You should make this album." And that was really the impetus for me making mm-hmm. the first album. Was getting a lot of requests from the Kundalini Yoga community. Mm-hmm. That's and, so um, beautiful, I must say. It's so beautiful that it's not like ego driven. You know, I mean, I understand the American thing. You know, like the. I mean, Lady Gaga is like the consummate practitioner of this thing. It's like, you can do whatever you want to do if you want it badly enough. And But it's still like, I, 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 ego, 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 you know, like yeah. fame. I mean, I think that it's there is an undue um, worship and, and admiration of fame, which is a very, you know, worldly and false yes. God. <laughs> right. um, so right. it's nice that, you did not, you know, always dream of like being on every uh, whatever I don't know every ad and <laughs> being yeah, famous. Yeah, no, it's, and it's a very your, organic right, process. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah well, thank it's you. Lovely... And I really, I truly believe that Yogi Bhajan, who is, you know, I believe that he really put me in this place. Mm-hmm. You know, and my ancestors. Mm-hmm. You know, I really believe that that the spirit of my ancestors and Yogi Bhajan. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. work together to make this happen because otherwise I don't think you know I it was my destiny but I wasn't aware of that mm-hmm. growing up you see what I'm saying mm-hmm. like it was so when did I the discovery doing... happen when did you move out of the well, community after, <laughs> <laughs> after my second album that I put out 
um, I started having people talk to me and be like, look, you clearly have this gift and you really need to start like you should tour. You should start marketing yourself, like really put yourself out there. You really have something. And mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, OK. And then but they would be like, no, no, seriously, like this is really good. It's helping a lot of people, people. You know, they, there were there were a few people in my life that were talking with me about it uh, on a regular basis in the community that were really encouraging me um, because of what they felt when I would sing. And I started to, like, look at it differently and be like, huh, maybe there is something to it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. sometimes you just have to have mm-hmm. someone outside of yourself showing you something that's obvious that you're not looking at. Mm-hmm. And... um so I had a, a couple of main people doing that, They're just talking with me about it on a consistent basis, a couple of friends. And then I started looking at it differently. I started saying, well, maybe I should put it out there. I mean, maybe I should do this. Maybe I should just try doing this. And, you know, from 2004, basically, um, basically the end of 2013 was when I really decided I'm going to go for this. I'm going to really put myself out there and I'm not committed to staying in a box. I'm committed to doing whatever flows through me. And this is what was flowing through me. And I love the mantras and I'll always, I'll always play mantras and, but I do them in such a different way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm I'm always going to honor how it comes through me. But I'm also going to write other songs, too, and that's what I do. I write I write music, you know, and mm-hmm. whether it's mantras or not, it always has that energy. Mm-hmm. It always has that mantric energy in it. Yeah, that's what I feel, too. Yeah, and that's what's beautiful. And you have to write other things so that your audience expands and you bring them into mantra music through another portal you know right yeah exactly and that's not my goal like i'm not trying to do that but that's what's happening now Mm -hmm. is like the audience is so diverse the age is so there's so many different the the age gap there there is no age gap there's just so much diversity in people's ages at the concert ethnicities um in their their in their lives like what they do in their lives it's not all yogis coming to these concerts Mm-hmm. But all these people are being exposed to indirectly, you know, exposed to to this, you know, through these through mm-hmm. these concerts. And it's not like I'm trying to do that. It just is happening because I'm following my heart and my intuition, and I'm not trying to just stay in a box. I'm doing what comes through me. And so if right. it came through me to do all mantras, I would do all mantras. Or if it's coming through me to write these other songs, I'm going to write these other songs. And so I just go with with what is coming through me, moving through me, and do my best to honor that. And that's mm-hmm. what's been happening the past five years. And um, it's really grown. And mm-hmm. I w- would have had no idea growing up that it was going to turn into this. You know. Did you have like a moment where you felt a breakthrough had happened? Had happened in your career, in your access to? Hmm. I think probably last year or two years ago, I started noticing the audience sizes were growing. Mm-hmm. Two two years ago, I really noticed it, and then last year, it made even a bigger leap. Yeah. So, like yeah. in some cities, we're playing to you know, larger crowds 
And in other cities, we're playing to large crowds, but they're not as large as other cities. Mm-hmm. But that's because we're playing in a bigger city or something. But, um, you know, it's it's. I would say these past two years have really taken a leap, and especially last year. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's growing so organically already on its own. And I, like I tell people, you know, this thing has legs of its own. It's its own entity, and I'm here to serve that. And yeah, that's yeah. That's, that's you know great. what I mean? I'm here yeah. to serve the mission or the and, energy or whatever you want to call it. And how old is your son now? Uh, he is 13 right wow. now. So wow. it's it's pretty amazing. Uh, yeah. He's he's such a sweetheart and he's extremely musical and he's got an incredible voice. He has what we call <laughs> a singer's there's something that singers really revere. It's called perfect pitch, mm. and he has that naturally. And he, but he's still, you know, he kind of reminds me of myself when I was his age. He has wow. no desire to be like a musician, a well-known musician by any means. And he, he just loves to play music. And he's studying guitar. He's been studying guitar for about three and a half years now. And he loves it. He loves playing guitar. He's got a wonderful teacher here. And uh, he'll sing sometimes, you know, um, in guitar mm-hmm. lessons and with me, but he's pretty mm-hmm. shy about it. <laughs> so he's he's a, he's a really introverted um, so he's person. So he's an artist. Just he has to he's an artist. How to, yeah. Yeah, he's definitely an artist, mm-hmm. and he's extremely introverted. And, like... I go between, I vacillate between both. I can be very extroverted and I can also be very introverted. He's like always really introverted, you know, mm-hmm. and it's beautiful. He's a really beautiful human being, but he hasn't, um, he doesn't have like this fire in him that's like, I'm going to be this famous musician or I'm going to be the best guitar player out there. He's just really says, I just play guitar because I really enjoy it. And I'm like, well, that's great. That's, that's all you need, you know, and right. I don't have any desire for him to be some big musician or anything. Unless he really wants to, then I would totally support that, but I don't, uh, Well, there's know, time. We there's plenty of time. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Definitely. So how much out of the year do you tour now? Um, currently, I tour about four months out of the year total. So we do three full month-long tours. And then with like workshops and immersions, I work with my husband, Jai Dave. He teaches Kundalini Yoga and my band and I will play live music for, mm-hmm. um, he does two immersions a year that are five days long of mm-hmm. Kundalini Yoga and Ayurveda. And we play live music in his classes and the immersions, which are really, really amazing. So we do that. And then we also travel to Maui every spring and we were there for a week. We have an immersion there. And then with like just, you know, workshops and things like that throughout the, the year, every once in a while we'll play a handful of workshops with him. So I would say total for our work, I would say four months of music touring total, including the mm-hmm. immersion. Mm-hmm. And then here and there I might do some things. Um, you know, I do other things like recording and things like that and, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of touring, but yeah, I, I lot, really yeah. love it. Yeah. I love it. And and it's not all at once. It's like a month at a time. 
here and then a month there and then in the fall mm-hmm. a month there. So oh, it's that's not, good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's spaced out. So I'm I'm home. You know, I would say like seven to eight months of the year, which feels really good. Mm-hmm. Which feels really yeah, really good. Yeah, but, that's great. Yeah. So yeah, well, and I want to be you, with my son. Have you uh, given concerts in Greece? You know, I played uh, two years ago in Greece at a. At, we did a very small, intimate concert um, on Paros. Mm-hmm. for some people that wanted to hire us for that. So mm-hmm. we did a very, it was more like a private concert. A house, it was a right. private concert. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I haven't played a big concert in Greece yet. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm open to that. And I, I definitely... Yeah. You am, have to organize am, something. <laughs> yes, that would be yeah. so awesome. Yeah. And um, my biological mother is like, oh, you should play here. It would be so fun. And, Where does she live now? You know, She's still in she Athens? She lives in or? Athens. Mm, okay. mm-hmm. She also lives in Athens. The myth of the musician who sings so beautifully that, you know, the world, the sun darkens and the rocks are melting and everything in the world stops growing. He's the god of vegetation or demigod. So he travels to the underworld and Persephone says that he can have his love back and she's going to be the only mortal who gets a second life. So it's kind of like a pre-Christian Christian myth, you know, it's she gets resurrected from the dead and he's able to go in and out of the underworld and that makes him a mystic and a prophet and all of that. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's an amazing story. Um, it is an Especially story. about so like... Right, especially about the nature of music, I feel, you know, the nature of music to um, overcome death and overcome mortality and overcome our limitations, right? Because it's pre-lingual. It's like before man-made language and logos, really. Um, so, I, I, I don't know. I think it's an amazing story. And then, of course, at the last minute, he looks back. <laughs> Um, so sh- she doesn't, you know, get to live again. Um, but that's okay because it's patriarchy. <laughs> like, you know, and like patriarchy. Right. Right. Exactly. So like, I think that if it had been matriarchy, then we would, she would come back. And you feel, um, I mean, you know, I, I think that, you know, you're definitely a role model, but are you conscious of it? Are you aware of it in any way, you know, that you are a woman who is doing something that's empowering and um, kind of like speaking an ancient language, you know, to modern men. Um, So I hope that it's, you know, it's part of your conscious mission. But that's what I see and that's what I love. (laughs) So I have to share it. <laughs> well, this is wonderful. Um, I don't know if you want to add anything. I'm, I'm pretty good. Um, I feel like we, did, we, we said a lot about your career, and um, I love the music. I'm going to play some, you know, when I... So thank you for listening. Thank you, Simrit, for being with us for this hour. And thank you, everyone, for trusting me as your sex whisperer. I am grateful for my audience and um, start speaking sex and smashing the patriarchy. I'll be back next week. And until then, speak sex. 
We're going to close today's episode with uh, a couple of minutes of uh, Simrit's music. I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, look for her on Spotify and all your other music uh, sources. Simrit Kaur. Ciao. See you.